Thank you very much. First of all, I would like to thank Ibn Arabi Society for inviting me and giving me this chance to speak here today afternoon. And the title of my paper is Whoever Loses Himself Finds Me, and Whoever Finds Me Never Loses Me Again. But this is actually the conclusion of my title. My, uh, my paper will be around the fast of Adam in Fusus, and how God describes us, why he created us, what is the high value of man, mankind, Adam, in the sight of God. So these will be the main subjects of uh, my talk today. As you know, uh, the modern life perplexes us even more. I mean, the technological developments, everything. Uh, the more we go outside, the more we educate ourselves in the material things, we seem to forget ourselves. So the psychologist in particular uh, says, for example, Jung states, most people confuse self-knowledge with knowledge of their conscious ego personalities. Anyone who has any ego consciousness at all takes it for granted that he knows himself. But the ego knows only its own contents. People measure their self-knowledge by what the average person in their social environment knows of himself. So today when we say we are, we know ourselves, it is unfortunately uh, not very deep knowledge. It is very superficial. In the Sufi terminology, it is the knowledge of nafsi ammare. So what should I eat, what should I wear, sort of, you know, material uh, concerns. Again, uh, among the philosophers, they always discuss the uh, nature of man. But some, sometimes it was nature in the uh, focus, sometimes it was uh, man, how, why man is created, and in particular, uh, Socrates, first time, he said, uh, O man, know thyself. So that was the almost first reference to the self-knowledge among philosophers. But unfortunately later, as you know, some philosophers even claimed that we came from uh, monkeys. So. Some philosophers thought we came from worms and all kind of stuff. But uh, among Sufis, it is really a different story. In particular for Ibn Arabi, he puts man into the uh, center of universe. Because if you look at the Quran, there are different kind of verses. Some verses, in some verses, man is described as the slave of God. I didn't create man, but I didn't create man and jinn, but they worship me. So here man is described as a slave. So for some scholars of, let's say, uh, legal studies, man is only a slave. He has some duties to do in front of God. If he doesn't do these duties, he will be punished in the hell. Also, the early Sufis thought like that. For early Sufis, there was too much uh, escape from the worldly attractions, like Ibn Fudail, he always was sad, he, didn't, he hated the world, he hated the people inside the world, because they, he thought these people or the worldly desires will uh, endeavor him. So he always refrained. You see also Ibrahim bin Atem. He was a king, according to the narration. He left his uh, you know, chair or throne, sorry, not chair. He left his throne because uh, to be an ascetic man. So early Sufis also, you can see this... Uh, the man almost doesn't have the same significance in the philosophy of Ibn Arabi. And even some Sufis, you know, sort of thought uh, the creation of man as a mistake. You know, 
they said, I, we wish we didn't, we weren't created. But uh, when you come to Ibn Arabi, it is really a different story. He makes, you know, he changes this uh, pessimist attitude to a very optimistic one. He speaks about man as the Khalifa, representative or vicegerent, I don't pronounce this word very well, representative of God on earth. And if you remember the ver verses in the chapter Baqarah, Inni ja'ilun fil ardi khalifa. I will make on earth a representative. So, according to Ibn Arabi, God only makes representative a creature that reflects his all attributes. Because according to philosophy Ibn Arabi, uh, Allah uh, has the name of Allah, Ismi Jamir. He gathers all opposites. And uh, in his creation, he doesn't manifest all his attributes except to men. So the nature has few of his attributes, animals have few of his attributes, but only man reflects the best possible manifestations of God. So man is very different. Because of this, man became the uh, representative of God on earth, not angels. As you know, when God said, Inni khalifa, angels didn't like this idea. They said, Oh my Lord, we worship you. When you got this we uh, make in tasbih of you. So why you create man who will split blood? You see, from this verse we can also understand man will split blood. Either, you know, physical blood or spiritual blood of, you know, different ways. So even the angels rejected. And God scolded them, as you know, said, you don't know things that I know. Again, another story of dialogue of God with Satan. If I can find the references of the verse here. Yes. Now, when God asked Satan to uh, bow down in front of Adam, he didn't. He didn't want to bow down. He said, I am out of fire, whereas man is out of uh, earth, so I am better than him. You see, no one understood our nature. Neither angels, nor Satan, nor ourselves. Only God knew the uh, real value of man. Therefore, when we try to know ourselves, I think the chapter of Adam in Fusus is really important. We can find the clues to understand ourselves. Therefore, Adam here is not uh, only a prophet like the rest of other stories of the prophets in Fusus. He is also very relevant to us today. We can find ourselves as the children of Adam. Because according to Ibn Arabi, children are the secrets of the father. So we all have Adam's legacy. So for Ibn Arabi, human beings, man, is the uh, vicegerent. He receives the full manifestations of God. And I will explain the uh, dialogue between Satan and uh, between God. Uh, so when I have made him complete, I have made man complete and breathe into him of my spirit, then fall down making obedience to him. So the angels prostrated themselves. Of course, angels prostrated, but after God's, uh, you know, explaining the reason after they refused to, you know, in the first place. Anyway, they repented 
At least they understood their mistakes and they bow down. But not at least. He was proud and he was one of the unbelievers. He said, O Iblis, God said, O Iblis, what prevented you that you should do obedience to him whom I created with my two hands? Here the important phrase is, with my two hands. Are you proud or are you of the exalted ones? He said, I am better than he. Thou hast created me of fire and him thou didst create of dust. He said, then get out of it, for surely you are driving away. So, for our sake, God is uh, driving away the Satan and scolding the angels to just show us the real value that we possess in the sight of God. And according to the uh, philosophy of Ibn Arabi, man in al-insan, it is very interesting, you know, uh, for those who know Arabic, there are two uh, possible etymologies for al-insan, uh, very common among the grammarians. One is from al-unsiyya, that means easily making friendship. So we can be friends with anyone, anyone in a very short time, especially ladies can be friends with each other very, in a very short time. And uh, the other uh, etymology comes from to forget. So as, as, fast as, as fast as we become friends with each other, as quickly as we can forget ourselves. When I was in Britain, our English teacher was so nice, so friendly, I thought, you know, we will be friends for a lifetime. After a month, even I, I could, he couldn't take my greetings, you know, when I saw him in the street. So we are really forgetting. Uh, very, very quickly. So, there are two possible etymologies. But Ibn Arabi brings a really very interesting etymology for Al-Insan. Because in Arabic, Al-Insan also means pupil, not student, the one understood? Yeah, or eyes pupil. So, he says, Al-Insan is, he is the pupil of God's eye. What does it mean? God looks at the universe through our eyes. He gives us so much power to control the world. Yes, God can control the world by himself. He can give sustenance directly without needing our bosses. But because he made us representatives, so we have uh, much bigger power than, for example, uh, theologians think, according to Sufis. Man has much more power in this respect because we can manifest God's full attributes. Even the attribute of creation. Man can create, according to Ibn Arabi. If you look at the Jesus, he says, I will create from uh, clay a bird. And even today, the technological developments, this cloning technology, you know, made the man out of the equation. So we are not anymore needed on this earth. Uh, there are so much developments. And most of us, think that these are, you know, against the power of God. Even the name challenger, isn't it? To challenge God's power to go into the skies. But from Ibn Arabi's perspective, all these extraordinary technological developments are not harmful. On the contrary, they show the power of God. So we shouldn't put man and God against each other, make them fight. On the contrary, we should make them going on the same line. Whatever we achieve, that is the beauty, power, the manifestation of the attributes of God. So, I think this philosophy of Ibn Arabi 
solves many modern problems of Islamic theology today. Because I think most theologians in Christianity also I think the same thing. We have difficulty in explaining the modern developments, the positivist developments. So Ibn Arabi helps, helps a lot with this respect. So uh, I said, uh, I created with my two hands. What does it mean? According to Ibn Arabi, two hands means, because God never uses the phrase two hands for any other creation. He doesn't use for cats, for dogs, for skies, only for man. Why? Because in man is manifested the attributes of beauty, jamal, as well as the attributes of jalai, majesty. But angels only reflected the attributes of uh, beauty. They couldn't commit evil. But Satan, on the other hand, only reflected or manifested the attributes of uh, wrath, majesty. Whereas in man, we can reflect, uh, we can manifest both these attributes. But of course, we are asked, it's our duty to, re, uh, to manifest the beautiful aspects, beautiful names of God, not the bad ones. Like Satan was manifesting the, you know, for example, the attribute of uh, Al-Mumit, the killer, that's the attribute of God. But we will be responsible if we manifest these attributes. We, should, we are only allowed to manifest uh, the beautiful ones, although we have the full capacity. So we, according to Ibn Arabi, have the full power of majesty, wrath of God, as well as the beauty, the beautiful uh, attributes of God. And it is up to us to train ourselves, to bring ourselves to that level. When I am speaking here, man as the, you know, the best manifestation of God, here Ibn Arabi means the perfect man. It is on the ontological level, man occupies a very high place, but on the individual level, we are not the same. There are men worse than evil, uh, worse than Satan. There are men better than angels, as you know. So, when you come to, to the famous hadith, Man arafa nafsahu, fakat arafa rabbahu, because we have this link with God's attributes, when you contemplate on our own attributes, we can reach God. We can feel His uh, presence. How? For example, if we have life, God has life. If we have speech, God has speech. Even uh, Avni Konuk, he's a very famous Turkish Ottoman, actually, uh, commentator of Fusus, he says, like God, for example, we can speak without using our tongue. How? When we are angry with someone, we can talk from inside. So similarly, he's uh, helping us to understand how God speaks without using tongue uh, or without using any words. So we are really uh, reflecting these attributes. If we catch these attributes, because they are shadows, shadow of God as man is not really existent. It's only a shadow. And between this shadow and the real existent, these attributes are like bridges. Those bridges which take us to God. 
These attributes are like bridges between God and existence. Since the world is a shadow of the absolute, it is connected with the latter with an immediate tie which is never to be loosened. Man, being himself a part of the world and a very special part at that, because of his consciousness, is in a position to know immediately within himself the relation of the shadow to the absolute. That is the meaning of the uh, verse of the Holy Quran that we will show you our signs in outside world as well as in our inside. So, according to Ibn Arabi, without knowing our inner nature, inner attributes, we cannot know God. The only way to know God is through contemplating ourselves. If we don't do that, if we ignore our conscience, I think the first two talks today in the morning, so if we just ignore our consciousness or just we pretend that we know ourselves, so we will we are losing our chance to become perfect. And I will uh, tell with this uh, thing, uh, there is a very nice uh, recital of Ibn Arabi, what the students needs. Ibn Arabi's Malabutta Minhu Lil Murid. That's a very important, very uh, understandable text, uh, both theoretical as well as very practical. I think it's the fifth volume of the Society's Journal. So uh, if you are lucky, you can get a copy after the talk. You see, God uses, uh, sorry, Ibn Arabi uses two metaphors to uh, emphasize his philosophy. The first metaphor is the metaphor of mirror. God wanted to see his attributes, so he created the universe. And according to Ibn Arabi, the universe is called the big man, the big human being. But that universe, that world, was like an unpolished mirror. It was incomplete. So, completion of this world was through the creation of man. So, man is the soul of this universe. And through this mirror, God can see his own beauty. Of course, in the first level of uh, non-manifestation, God is mustangni. He doesn't need manifest. He doesn't uh, have to manifest himself. But in the uh, Tayyun level, he wants to see his beauty. I think all of us, sometimes we like mirrors, especially if we are you know, young and handsome, <laughs> don't we? To see our own beauty. We don't have to look mirrors. No one forces us. But we like, you know. <laughs> yes. If, if we don't polish our mirrors of heart through zikr and through other advices written in this uh, short risale. Actually, I like preaching. I am a preacher as well. I preach once a week in Hudayu Mosque. And I plan to make my next preach about this uh, text when I reach Hudayu Mosque. I don't want to, you know, give you a lot of advice, which is very boring. You can read that by themselves, how to polish our hearts. One is, for example, just to give an example, zikr. You know the famous hadith used by Ibn Arabi? Uh, I am with the one who remembers me. So according to Ibn Arabi, polishing heart means remembering God. Because when we remember God, we forget our worldly concerns. And for him, the worst thing is our worldly concerns, our attractions to the world. And it's really very interesting advice there. He says, uh, if you can work one day in a week, very hard, get one week's 
wage. And the six days don't work. Just uh, attend your real business, which is, you know, to reach uh, sort of gas proximity. It's very interesting, really. I mean, you know, it's, I, for those of you who can do that, if you can earn in one day, one week salary, I think most of you can do that. If you, it's particular doctors and physicians, computer programmists. I can't do it in, in Turkey, because in Turkey we have to do three different works, teaching, translation, and sometimes whatever job we get. So for those of you here who are lucky, I think that's very interesting, because if the hereafter, if the God is so important to us, and if you only work one day for God and six days for the world, so our actions are denying our uh, you know, beliefs. So Ibn Arabi is always believes in integrity of personality. So this is the first thing, is metaphor of a mirror. The mirror should be polished through zikr, through charity, through contemplation, through all kinds of different uh, activities. And uh, as a Muslim, actually, I take him very seriously. And there are very difficult advices he does. He says, for example, after the morning prayer, don't sleep until the sun rises, which is like around two hours. After Aster prayer, afternoon prayer, don't you know, do anything, just keep contemplating and making worship until sun sets. So if I seriously follow, really, I mean, you know, a little bit difficult. But if you think of the time we spent in front of televisions, in front of other worldly activities, I think it's not too uh, difficult. I appreciate Dr. Alexander Kinish. He describes Sufis as athletes who, you know, are always making a run. So spiritual athletes, actually. So Sufis are spiritual athletes. You know, I always wonder people why they want to break these records. Some people go under the cold water, stay eight hours. <laughs> some people carry a lorry with their teeth. <laughs> Even some people have 10 meters nails. You see, we are, create, we are created with a endless powers. If you, don't, if you don't know how to direct our attention, we can easily lose our direction. Now you start people doing very funny things. You know, there's a famous Turkish uh, story. A king always had a contest of abilities. And a man came, had a little needle, he threw the needle, it stuck in the tree. And a little rope, he threw it and the, you know, the, yeah, rope went through the eye of the needle. Well, it was the best of actions, and the king said, give him a hundred golden coins, also beat him a hundred times. <laughs> you say, you know, oh my king, why are you beating me? Because I have done such a great thing. He said, how long did you practice? He said, I practiced this for ten years. He said, okay, get the money, but you lost, you lost your ten years for this insignificant thing, so you deserve a hundred, you know, <laughs> beating. So, you see, we have endless, infinite, infinite powers. If you don't use them in a correct place, we can easily, you know, misguided by our own animal, selfish, egoistic desires. You know, when it's really special, I mean, an animal can kill only when he needs to eat. But man can kill millions without having a, you know, little mercy for them. So you can see, because Ibn Arabi says, if Satan is uh, created, Satan is created in the attribute of uh, wrath, fire. If you follow Satan, you go through his way to the fire. If you follow the, of course, 
uh, attributes of beauty, they will take you uh, to God. What was the second metaphor? Yeah, God looks through the eye of man to the universe. Actually, that reminds me a hadith. Because in, in Islam, when someone dies, we take him to the mosque and we ask, Oh, guys, how you know this guy? Everyone says normally, oh, very good person. Even is a very bad person. But there's a hadith. There's a hadith that says, if 40 people give good witness to someone, you know, that man is accepted, written among the good people. Even he's not like that. Because God looks through our eyes. He accepts our, you know, witness, witnessing. So even he knows the reality. It's a little bit different story, but he says, okay, since you say this man is good, uh, therefore I remember uh, my, a friend of mine, he was always helping me. I told him, when you die, I will come to your grave. And he was very happy. Normal people don't like this kind of jokes, but because when you, when you die, and if many people come to your grave, that means you're a very good person. You have done good things. One of the uh, judgments of, you know, being good or bad, according to Ibn Arabi as well, in, uh, you know, thinking. Well, I was telling about Jesus creating uh, birds out of clay. You know, these are very, little bit dangerous terms, actually, isn't it? To create and... But these are extreme examples of manifesting God's attribute. Not everyone can manifest this attribute. But if you read Sufi books, sometimes you will get this kind of stories. Like man sort of reviving dead people, like Jesus revived the dead. So, I looked through the three different translations of the worst and they're all very shy of translating this word as it is they say I have come to you with a sign from your Lord Jesus speaking here in that I make for you out of clay as it were the figure of a bird so I make for you make me create possible other pictorial translation he says I fashion for you out of clay and thirdly uh, from Shakir's translation, I determine for you out of dust like the form of a bird. So they don't use uh, to, they don't like to use this uh, verb create for men because it creates theological problems. <laughs> but Ibn Arabi is uh, really, I mean, uh, very interesting. He uses this word. Actually, there is a verse in the Quran, Fatabarakallah God is, uh, you know, high above, and uh, He is the best of the creators. Yes, there are little creators like us, you know, not real creators. We can fix things, you know, and modern uh, medicine today even can revive through these, you know, uh, heart operations. But it's not really creating. But okay, let's say it's creating, but God is the best of creators. So He does without any plan, out of nothing, you know. So we shouldn't compare or, uh, or uh, attributes with the perfectness of the God's attributes. So far I have spoken about uh, the high place that we possess in the universe. Of course, Ibn Arabi warns us that we shouldn't be egoistic. Okay, you know, we are so important, we can do whatever we wish, you know. So we are almost semi-gods. No. We should show this respect to other people, not to ourselves. He says, explaining a verse, that ittagu, beware of God, he says, that means when you do something good, attribute to God, that comes from God. But when you do something bad, you must know it from yourself. And uh, 
I would like to conclude uh, from this philosophy of Ibn Arabi. He, because he considers man uh, occupying such a high place, his uh, understanding of man is so different. Once I was invited to a conference in Germany, uh, Max Planck Institute of Criminological Justice, nothing to do with Ibn Arabi, but I had a very good Persian friend. He said, please come and say something, because it's all dry legalism, you know, bring some Sufi spirit in it. Okay, I said, I will talk about uh, Ibn Arabi's uh, conception of retaliation. For those who know Arabic, or people of wisdom. There is life for you in retaliation. In other words, in killing others, taking your revenge, there is life. Let me find my translations of three different translations again. Yes. So everyone, scholars, legalists, even the translators of the Quran, thought that it is good to take revenge. Because the appearance of this verse seems that if someone hits us, we must hit back. But Ibn Arabi really makes very interesting commentary of the verse, and it's really beautiful. It says, وَلَكُمْ فِي الْقِسَاسِ حَيَاتٌ When you retaliate, O people of wisdom, you are handling someone's life in your hands. Did you understand? So, there is, no, there is life in retaliation, not in that sense, there is a life in your hands in retaliation. So, be careful. Don't kill. Don't take revenge. So, just forgive. In the sense, because for him, we are created with the capacity of manifesting the full attributes of God to becoming insani kamil, perfect man. When you retaliate, when you kill someone, you prevent this guy from reaching his full capacity. So Ibn Arabi says, we must forgive if, if possible, when we, have, we are given the choice. Of course, there are places in Islamic law you, you don't have the choice. So I'm not speaking here about abrogating the Islamic law. It's different. But when you are given the... For example, when someone is killed, according to Islamic law, you can ask the family members, can ask retaliation, blood money, or just forgive. So Ibn Arabi says, if it is not uh, disturbing, uh, destroying the public order, you must forgive. Because why? Man is created in a very high situation, so you must help him to reach uh, his uh, full capacity. You shouldn't pluck an uh, unripe fruit. That's what he means. And also we see this in his life. You know, there was in uh, Damascus a man who made his duty to uh, curse Ibn Arabi every day because of his uh, ideas. He was every day like, you know, cursing him. When that man passed away, died, Ibn Arabi went to his grave and he prayed there to some extent. They asked, what have you done there? He said, I prayed God that God will forgive this man. And I also pledged that I will not eat and drink until this man is forgiven. Because why? He is seeing this divine spirit in that man. I think if he all understood the philosophy of Ibn Arabi with his respect, we would have really very different uh, lifestyles. Finally, I would like to give another example from Rumi. Again, Rumi is uh, explaining similar ideas, but in a very, really beautiful metaphors of poetry. He says, 
Man is like the falcon on the arm of the king. Because, you know, in Middle East, rich kings always have falcons go hunting. But these falcons always feed with the hand, on the hands of the king. King is very high, but falcon also feeds on his hand. Sometimes these falcons escape. And an old lady catches these falcons and says, Oh, my poor bird, your wings are so long, let me cut your wings. Your nails are too long, let me trim them. And they make this little nice royal bird into a chicken, you know. <laughs> so, so, you see, sometimes the worldly things makes these falcons us like chicken. Because all our because we have such great potentiality, but we spend these great potentials for very, very minor things, what we'll eat tomorrow, what we'll, I wear tonight, kind of stuff, you know. So we forget our uh, real direction. So to conclude, this uh, high status Ibn Arabi uh, gives to us is increasing our responsibility, not our hedonism, let's say, because we are so big, so important, so we can do whatever we like. No. It is adding up to our responsibilities. Like Hazrat Omar, the second caliph said, you know, if a lamb is eaten by a wolf near, uh, which river was it? Dijla, I don't know the English one. Tigris, I feel responsible, you know. He was feeling so much responsibility. Because if you are the caliph, if you are the, you know, family father or mother, you are responsible. The rights uh, the brings you more responsibilities. And just one uh, last joke from uh, Rumi. <laughs> you know, once there was, in the old times, in all, uh, there were no running water in our homes, so people would sell water in the streets. Uh, a poor donkey always carrying water on its back, uh, you know, sick, a lot of wounds in its back, almost to die. But the trainer of the king, the horse trainer of the king, saw the pitiable situation of the donkey and said to the water seller, leave this donkey, I will take it to the royal stables. Few weeks, it will recover and you can take it back. The donkey went to the stables, a lot of, you know, all kind of food, beautiful grapes, whatever the horses eat, I don't know. <laughs> but the best of the food... And the donkey started complaining, oh my God, is it justice? I carry all daytime on my back, heavy burden of water. I rarely find straw to eat. And look at these horses doing nothing. <laughs> all night they are being, you know, groomed, groomed and looked after very well. Is it justice? He was complaining. It was complaining. And in a few days the drums played and they said there's a war. So all the horses settled and went to the war. After a few weeks, they all returned in big wounds. Some of them are dead. Some of them have a lot of arrows in their you know, buttons. And when the veterans, veter, veterans treated them, you know, all morning with pain, and the donkey said, oh my God, I am very happy with carrying water. Sorry for my words. But I want to say, big status brings uh, big sacrifices in Ibn Arabi's philosophy. So uh, lastly, uh, how to reach this state, again, there are a lot of readings can be done from Futuhat, but very simple, doesn't need any effort, is this uh, uh, short 
um, treaties, I suggest all of you to read. Thank you very much for showing patience to my talk. Thank you.